we are on to week two of our series, Daydreaming. So last week we learned about dreaming. We learned that basically in life, when we're not dreaming, we aren't really living. Okay, we talked about how it is that we react when there's something that we're passionate about, the way that we re- react when there's something that's it's outside of our reach. We talked about with dreams, when they get a little bit too far away from us, what do we do? We just begin to kind of lose hope a little bit. And when we lose hope, we have to either acknowledge that our life has just lost the most important thing to us, or we have to find a new dream. So we talked about how in life we often, when the dream we want the most, okay, when you realize that you probably won't play in the NBA, right, when you realize, you know, when you watch TV and there's not a lot of five foot seven white guys, right, you just realize, maybe I should let it go. Because if I hold on to it, I'm going to have my heart broken. Correct? Oh, you doubt me, huh? You guys aren't the only ones. This guy over here is making fun of me. I could play with those high school kids. I went to the Alma game this weekend. Those kids are awful. <laughs> Put me out there, man. I, I, no. Hey, when you get old, you're allowed to be senile. All right? When I watch those kids, man, we're so much better than those kids, which, of course, the older kids used to say that to me, and the old people said that to me, so I'm sure it's just uh, age, right? But when you have a dream and it floats away, okay, it gets just a little bit too far, we tend to trade it in for a, how you put that, a new one, but not just a new one, one that's more reachable. And so with dreams, if it's too close, it's not a dream anymore, it's reality. If it's too far away, it becomes fantasy, and we let it go. But for us, if a dream sits right in the middle, it's close enough for us to visualize having it, but far enough away for us to not have it yet. That's when we just begin to just to go nuts. We want it. Um, who here has dogs? I did not ask about cats. I will not ask about cats. I do not care about cats. If you have cats, we'll pray for you, okay? Um, with dogs, you know, if you train them right, which I have not, but if you train them right, you're able to put a, a treat right on the nose, right? And like they begin to just quiver, right? Because it's so close, right? But of course, the problem is it's on their nose, correct? So they're going to have to do something to get it in their mouth. But, but the excitement, the, the anticipation, smelling it, thinking about the taste, it gets their entire body to just move. They are infatuated with the dream of that treat, right? This is how we are. If it's right there where we can grab it, that's when we begin to be the most alive. If you aren't dreaming, the odds are you aren't fully living. If you're just going day to day, if you're just going through the routine, there's nothing more dangerous for a human being than to be stuck in a routine with nothing to look forward to. Do you hear me? There's nothing more dangerous for you than to be stuck in a routine with no hope of anything new in front of you. When you begin to get there, there's something about us that just begins to die. So dreaming is crucial. You know, in school, we kind of learn that daydreaming is silly. It's for children, right? You know, when you are dreaming of playing in the NBA, it's just kind of a silly thing. Well, you know what? You really shouldn't waste your time because you need to figure out what you're going to do in college. What's your major going to be, Devin? Because you need to have a good career, right? Let go of those childish dreams and be practical. Be an adult, right? And so as we get older, we learn that dreaming is something that we have to let go of altogether. But as we've covered, it's also something that when we let go of dreaming, we lose part of ourselves. So we have to dream. Dreaming is something that we have to do. We have to embrace that frustrating space of having to anticipate something new, but also having to not be able to grab it. There's something about it 
that's human, something about it that is life-giving. Now, if you ask me what I believe this is, I believe it's the part of us as humans that craves and hungers for God, the ultimate other, right? The ultimate bigger than, just outside our reach, just beyond us, just beyond our understanding. There's something about what we were created for that we don't have here. There's something about this world that isn't enough. Um, Jim Carrey has this famous line. He says, I wish that everyone could be rich because then you would know that it doesn't change a thing, right? Now, you don't know what it's like to have millions and millions of dollars. If you do, you better start tithing. Amen? (laughs) Amen? Okay. But you do know what it's like to achieve some dream. Okay. No matter how small it was, what was it like when you had something you wanted so bad and then you finally had it? What did that feel like? You, there's something that you, your emotions, your thoughts, your energy, everything went towards that thing. Was it your first car? Was it a girlfriend, a boyfriend? Was it an experience? Was it traveling to a different country? Was it going on a cruise? Was it you know, graduating, that promotion, whatever? You dreamed about it, and when you had it, you took that bite, and it just, okay. And now I need another. There's something about this world which just isn't quite enough. It doesn't matter how much of this world you get. You can be the most powerful, the most intelligent, the richest man on this planet, and it isn't enough. What do you notice about the the most powerful men on this planet? What do you notice? The most powerful women on this planet. What do you notice about them? They're always doing what? (laughs) They are spending money. They're always striving, right? Okay, you know, you built Apple, right? You have, you have already achieved. You are the biggest anything on the planet. You have the most resources, the most employees, the most money. You can do whatever. You've already made it. Why don't you just retire and relax? No, we need something more. We need to reach higher. Well, you know what? You've already made it to the moon. You've already gone farther than anyone thought that humans could go. You've already gone to the moon and back. Why do you need to go farther? This world isn't enough for us. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you will stop wasting your time focusing on trying to fill your life with this world. It isn't enough for you. Your appetite will never be full here. You will consistently need more money, more pleasure, more success, more power, more fame, more acknowledgement, more something. You will need more. It will never be filled if you live your life for this world. And this takes us to this word called the kingdom. It's the concept that Jesus is always talking about. When he would talk about gospel, he wasn't talking about, hey, I've got this great news. Everyone, if you say you're sorry for your sins, you get saved. Awesome. If he would have said that to the Jews, they would have said, we don't need that. We already have forgiveness of sins. We don't need that. He didn't talk about that. He talked about something. He said, the kingdom is like, and what he was doing was he was saying, there is a world that is different than this world. There is a place that when you taste this, when you experience this, you will be satisfied. You will not need more if you have this. And he even changes, and he talks about the kingdom inside of him. And so he talks about this well, and he says, if you drink this water, if you drink of this world, you will never have enough. But if you drink of what God is doing through me, you will be full. You will be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched. 
And you don't realize it yet, but you have never been satisfied. You are able to be complacent. You're able to teach yourself to just not want more. You are able to lull yourself into sleep. You're able to tell yourself, this is all life is. This is as good as it gets. Just enjoy it. But you're not able to be satisfied. No one in this room is able to be satisfied. Because only one thing satisfies. Only one thing fills us. And so when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about things that are beyond this world, things that are above, things that are more than. When we talk about what God is doing in the world, there's one word that we have to use, dream. For you to live your life for things that are more than this world has to offer, you are living your life in a dream. You are walking through life daydreaming. And with daydreaming, there are some things that we need to begin to visualize as kingdom people, as followers of Jesus. And so in this series, we're trying to use it to, to kind of paint the picture of what the kingdom is like, but we're also using it to explain to you what the unique vision is that we have of the kingdom of heaven. What is it that we see when we look at Jesus? What is it that Grace Church wants to look like when it follows Jesus as a community? And so we talked about the word devotion last week. To dream about the kingdom is to dream about a world where you are fully devoted. There's no in-between with Jesus. There is no half-in, half-out. There is only fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, or there is not. There is either Jesus has control over your entire life, or he does not. Correct? This is what we talk about when we talk about being a Christian, meaning the yoke of Jesus, right? Who wants to put a yoke on right now? Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is something that is not just a burden that goes on top of your shoulders if you're a horse. It also connects you to other horses. You hear me? So, what's awesome about a yoke is, when I get a yoke on, there's someone else who's getting the yoke as well. And so for me to submit my life to Christ, I'm coming underneath the authority of God, and the authority of God is not just on me. I'm not just being connected to God. I'm not just being chained to God, which is a great way to look at it. I'm being chained... To other what? People. When you're married, there's a term that we use for the, our spouse. <laughs> Lee's like, ball and what? Because you're, 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 you are, all sorts of words I want to use. I can't use any of those. You are in trouble. There's no getting out. You are trapped. Ooh, that's a good one, right? You are trapped. The context of covenant is you are trapped. If you leave this, you will be cut in half. Pretty cool, right? So what's better, to be married or to be cut in half? Mm, some days, right? And so what happens in this, this is the same analogy, the same language used for how we enter into relationship with God, but he, pull, he pulls a fast one on us. For us to enter into relationship with God, we're not only entering into covenant with Him. I'm entering into covenant with his body, which happens to be what? People. Um, who got that pleasant surprise when you got married? You're not just marrying one person. Yeah. When you marry a dean, you're not just marrying one person. You're marrying an entire city, correct? You're marrying Alma, Arkansas, right? See, most of you became Christians and you were under the illusion, you were wrongly taught that you are simply stepping into covenant, into, if you would, marriage with God. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Just like your wedding day. 
everything is going to be perfect, and every flowers, and it's pretty, and it's got the right kind of, you know, the, the pictures looks gorgeous. That's how our life's going to be. But you didn't check the fine print of becoming a Christian, did you? You, when you enter into the body of Christ, to enter into relationship with Christ, you enter into his what? His body. And then you get a place, a role, correct? It's like families. You get put somewhere. And the Apostle Paul loves to use this analogy. So he talks about the body of Christ. And he says, you know what? Some of you guys are going to get lucky and you'll be the eye or an ear. But somebody has to be the pinky toe. Correct? And that, and that somebody's probably in this room. Somebody gets to be things that aren't exactly desirable. We each get pulled into a relationship. We get tethered together. Now, the Scriptures have these different words for, for how we are to be understood. Okay? The Bible talks about the church, Christians as the church, talks about us as the body, the bride, a nation, a people, a community, a priesthood, a holy temple. What's beautiful about all the language of the Bible is it talks about the individual as if they're what? Part of something bigger than themselves. But that doesn't sound like the Christianity that most of us signed up for, does it? What we were told was this. If you would say a prayer, if you would confess, guess what? You will be saved, right? Sounds great, doesn't it? They didn't tell us about the rest of it, did they? And I'm not talking about attending church. Being a part of the church is not just attending church. It's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about something more than that. We started this morning by reading 1 Corinthians 13. In this passage, we go through all these great kind of analogies of love, okay, explaining what love is like. Now, you've all heard the verse, and you've all kind of zoned out. All right, I get that. This verse is not about marriage. Do you hear me? You have all heard this verse, and you think what? The way that I treat my... Yeah. This is not what it's about. Sure, it includes that, but that's not what this is about. This verse, he is speaking to a church which is wild and crazy. They love to get crazy. And yes, we have some of those in the room too. Don't raise your hands. This church knew how to party. Their favorite thing was the gifts of the Spirit. They loved to get caught up in screaming, hollering, speaking in tongues, prophesying. And again, that has a very healthy place in the body of Christ that is needed. But that was their favorite part. Oh, and on the weekends, they loved to go to the temple prostitutes. Oh, did you know that? Yeah, let's prophesy on Sunday, but on Monday, I'm going to see the temple prostitutes. That is what he is dealing with here. He's speaking to a church that is off the chain. There you go. You got it? Okay. That's who he's talking to. And he says this. He says, all these things you love have value, but guess what? Love is what has the value. And here's what love does for you. Love is going to change the way that you see yourself and change the way that you see others. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, the ultimate fruit that you will bear is one thing. Miracles. Prophecy. Bible reading. Prayer. Feeding hungry people. How about this? Offering your life to die for Jesus. No. None of those things are the ultimate fruit of following Jesus. What is the ultimate fruit? 
love. What's beautiful is this. You can do every one of these other things. You can feed hungry. You clothe the naked. You can prophesy. You can preach. You can counsel. You can serve in the nursery. You can do all these things and do it for who? Self. And see, the problem is that you were all taught a gospel that's about who? You. If you do this, then you get this. And so everything else, as a pastor, I have to convince you the benefit. When I prep a sermon, I know what the Bible says, but that's not the problem. The problem is, how do I convince you it's worth your effort? Because, see, if I tell you the Bible says that that's not enough, we want to know what's in it for who? Me. What's in it for me? Oh, we're going to two services. What's in it for me? Why do I want to do that? Oh, yeah, 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 you know, the church growing, the kingdom, yeah, we have all, all these new people, yeah, whatever. What's in it for me? Ooh, got quiet. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Bless you. Sure, serving. Sure, praying for people. Sure, yeah, giving. What a, what's in it for me? But if I tell you this, if I tell you, you know what? If you give 10%, God will give you 100 back. And if I can convince you that's real, if I can convince you there's something in it for you, guess what? You will do it. If I can convince you that if you would say you're sorry for your sins and you will not have to burn for eternity, you will do it. If I can convince you there's something in it to take care of yourself, guess who will do it? You will. And guess who else? I will. Because who do we ultimately care about? Self. And ultimately, as as Christians, we're called to do one thing, to follow Jesus. And none of us are capable of doing this because the ultimate call to follow Jesus is to love your neighbor as yourself, which ultimately means this. If I care most about myself and I'm to love you the way I love me, that is a problem because that means I have to love you more than I love me. That means all of my choices for the rest of my life are not about me. They're about you. Does that sound like the Christianity that you were taught? I don't think so. Here's why. It doesn't sell. Nobody wants to sign up for that. Nobody. What's beautiful, I posted a question on Facebook the other day. Is the Christian faith personal or is it communal? And it was so beautiful. I didn't have anyone just argue for communal. Nobody. There's no one who said that Christian faith is about everyone else but me. Every single person at least said that personal was crucial. If you don't have the personal, you can't have everything else. It has to be about me. Now, what's beautiful about the gospel is that you matter. If you guys have your Bibles, go to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering on Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Did you, were you guys here for the, the Eating is Believing series? I went in depth for five weeks on what I'm going to skim over this morning, okay? Basically, eating matters, people matter, tables matter. There you go. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the, the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls his friends together and neighbors, saying to them, celebrate with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now let's pause right there. 
I have heard this, this, this parable taught so many times. I've taught it so many times. My mind still goes to the same place. Wow, Jesus loves me, the one. Now, is that true? Yes. Is that a good thing for us to know? Yes. Who are we forgetting in this parable? The 99. Who cares about the 99? The one. It's beautiful. Now again, we aren't very good at embracing multiple things, are we? Like we have to be like, okay, like for example, I love the Razorbacks, which means I hate every other team, right? Like I'm not going to cheer for your team, no matter how much you love them. Guess what? Because I love my team, and I don't know how to love two things, okay? And so in this passage, we only know how to see the one. Oh, look at the one. Beautiful. Awesome. See, the, the gospel tells us something. The gospel tells us that the individual has value. But the gospel tells us something else. The individual's identity is in the 99. You only even know who the sheep is because the sheep is what? Part of what? The 99. And so when, when God goes to save his one, he takes it home and hangs out with it. All right, here's your prayer closet, little sheep. And so I'm going to come and hang out with you in your pen. And the 99 have their pen, but I'm coming to you in your pen. No, 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 no. He takes the one and he takes it where? Back where it belongs in the one pen. Do you see it? Because where does it belong? In the 99. Oh, well, that's just one. Okay, well, let's just go ahead and keep reading. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good stuff. All right, so they celebrate in verse 7. In the same way, oh no, in the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Again, don't assume the 99 are bad. The 99 are good. The 99 are the example of where we want to be. We're not aspiring to be the one. We're aspiring to be the 99, okay? If we happen to stray, he brings us where? Back to the 99, okay? The 99 are not bad. They're good. Verse 8, Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them? won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, celebrate with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God, angels um, over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Are you seeing this? And of course, this segues into our favorite parable, right? The parable of the prodigal sons. And again, you've read that and told, heard that parable, and it's all about what? The one who returns. But what does he return to? A banquet. He's, he's not, he doesn't return. He gets his private room. We're going to hang out. And the father's going to hang out with you in your room. And he's so glad you're back. No, he grabs them. First thing he does, he clothes them. He puts a ring, puts shoes, and he takes them where? To be back with everyone else. And he sits them down at the what? The table. Read the Gospels. Tables and food everywhere. This is what it's about. Don't forget this. You have absolute value. Preachers and teachers of the kingdom of God have done so well in the last 50 years telling you that God loves you. We have done a great job of that. We have failed you in telling you that your identity is in being just you. 
that I am a Christian in my faith, in my belief, in my practices of faith. No, 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 no. You are a lost sheep, but if you submit to Christ, guess what? He brings you back into a whole. You were once lost, and now you're found and being restored to your family. Christ comes back for His bride. God came to make a new people. God came to form a new nation. God called sheep from other pens to bring into what? That there would be one flock. Are you seeing this? I don't need to harp on this and tell you Jesus loves you as an individual because you've already heard it. This is one of the ultimate truths and the beauties of the gospel, but you're missing the rest of the gospel. You have a family. Your blood family matters. Has tremendous value. But when you came into the kingdom of heaven, you were brought into a new family, an eternal family that lasts beyond this life. And this is the world, this is the dream, and this is the family that we are to live in and live for. See, in the book of Acts, it wasn't about trying to... The book of Acts was about individuals who became part of a new family, and they're striving to bring their blood family into the new family. And then it's about people who get upset about that. No, no, the Jews said. No, no, no. It's about blood. The blood family matters more than the spirit family. The Jews said, no, God told us that blood matters. If you are a Jew, you're chosen. And these new followers of Christ said, no, 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 no. No, God created a new family, and now the blood is valuable and matters. But we have a new family by the Spirit, not by blood. In this family... You have no control over the family that you're born to by blood. Correct? You cannot force your parent. Okay. You have control to choose whether or not you will be brought into a new family. You have a choice. This is where the personal aspect of our faith is crucial. Your faith is fully personal as it matters to your choices. And your choice every day is to submit to the will of God. The moment that your faith chooses, the moment that you make the choice to say, your will be done, guess what? You are now in a corporate faith. But you have a choice every single moment of your life. You have a choice to say, I don't want that. I'm going to step out. But you have to understand something. When you choose to step out, you are stepping outside of what God is doing in the world. You are saying, I don't want to be a part of that. And the Apostle Paul went as far as to say, who of you who's a part of a body, can the toe say to the eye or the nose say to the ear, can they choose where they are in the body? Can they just step out and say, no, I don't really want to be a part of that? Of course not. In the same way, you are a part of what God is doing in this way. If you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 41. This is after, of course, the... The Spirit of God has fallen. Pentecost. Most of you were taught the book of Acts, and what we focus on, if you were, if you were Baptist or in, in that kind of a church, you were taught the emphasis of Acts is the gospel. We see this powerful preaching of a new message, and it changes the world. If you were brought up charismatic, you were taught the power of the book of Acts is the Spirit. The Spirit falls. There's signs and wonders, and all these amazing things happen, and that's what changes the world, the work of the Spirit. Both of these things are true, but we're missing something, and I want to show it to you. Verse 41, uh, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. What's beautiful about this, it does not say, God saved 3,000 individual souls. 
won to the kingdom on that day. It says what? 3,000 people. God moved to bring 3,000 people into what? A what? A community. See, if you don't study the Old Testament, you miss this stuff. The Old Testament has one consistent theme. God's desire to have what? A people. A people. The entire Old Testament. And this story, this theme goes through the entire book. All the books, the entire theme of the Old Testament. God wants a people. But if you don't read the Old Testament, you don't catch that theme. If you don't read the Old Testament, you don't catch what's happening in the book of Acts. God is getting his people. There's prophecy through the entire Old Testament that God would move in all the world to bring people into his people. That he would take all these other nations and fold them in to what he was doing on the earth. This was the pleasure and the pursuit of God to have a people, to fold in all of the difference into one. And so this is what a Jew sees when they read this. They see that God is doing it. He is creating his people. And so he brings 3,000 people into the community on that day. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. To the what? To their personal prayer closets? Anybody? No? To their devotional tapes as they drove to work? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. To the community. To their what? Shared meals. I don't know about you, but since I've been a parent, I've valued having alone meals. I was in Fayetteville for a doctor's appointment, and I had the ability to go eat by myself. And it was quiet, and there was no hurry, and like I didn't have to like shield my food. It was beautiful. You know, I, I enjoy eating alone. But they didn't get brought into a community to eat alone. They get brought into the community to what? To share meals and to their prayers. And again, this is, com- this is communal prayer. This is the same thing that brought, the, brought Pentecost. Pentecost did not fall when all these believers were praying quietly in their prayer closet. It fell when they were what? In one place, on one accord, right? And this is how it falls. This is how the world is changed, okay? A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs to the apostles. Understand, the book of Acts shows how the world has changed through the fall of the Spirit, this new form of community, and this new message of how God is going to change the world. There's a, a threefold work of God on the earth. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together. All right, we're having church every day this week, and we're going to try this out. You guys are like, is he serious? I'm not serious, Okay. If being around each other constantly was not important, why is it so prevalent? Pastor Zach says something. Ah, I wish I forget how he says things. But he, he says, you know, for us to build relationship, you have to be consistently being close proximity. That sounds like Zach. You have to be in consistent pro, uh, close proximity. Consistent close proximity. Be around each other often. And what happens in the book of Acts? Strangers... Something is done by the Spirit of God, and strangers are now spending every moment around each other. Their lives were separate, and now they are intertwined. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the what? Community. Those who were being saved. Again, 
the individual is being saved and brought into a what? A community, a family. No one in this room wants to give up their autonomy, meaning no one in this room wants to give up the ability to be self-sustaining. You don't want to need anyone else. I don't want to be dependent on you. I don't want my life to, to lean on other people. I would love to know that everything that I need, I can take care of just right here. No one in this room wants to give up the gospel that says all you need to do is take care of you. No one wants to give up the gospel that says that I have to be uncomfortable and get to know people who are strangers. Everyone in this room will say, I've already got friends, I've already got parties, I've already got a busy schedule. I don't have room in my life for anyone else. I don't need them. I've got my family. I've got my friends. Everything is fine. I don't need to make any room for anyone else. What you do need to do is make a choice. Are you going to follow Christ fully? Are you going to be a devoted follower of Jesus or not? It's that simple. About four years ago, whenever I began to stumble upon this stuff in the Scriptures, I almost wanted to close the Bible because I knew where it was going. The more I read, the more I prayed, the more that I began to really allow it to sink into me. I just wanted to close it and walk away because I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to give up my comfortable faith, my personal, private, secluded, safe faith. I didn't want to give it up. I didn't want my life to get messy or ugly or complicated or busy or hectic. I didn't want that. I wanted to keep it the way it was but I could not not see what I just saw. I couldn't. I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't lie to myself and say, no, 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 that, that's not really there. What it really means is, is this and that and the other. See, there are leaders in, in the kingdom all over the world in all different sects, Baptist, Charismatic, Catholic, all over the world who are standing up saying, we have to get back to being authentic Christians. The world needs real Christians right now. The world needs real Christians who look like Jesus, who love each other, and who walk the faith out in a real way. Because this plastic garbage that we've been shown in the world, they already know we don't want anything to do with that. I don't need the church to tell me how to take care of myself. I don't need a self-help book from the church. The self-help books outside the church are much better than the church versions. I don't need to know how to make more money, how to, how to run my business, how to make friends and influence people. The, the world can teach me all of those things. What does the church have to offer? Here's the truth. The church offers one thing. It offers Jesus and his cross. And the question is, are you going to embrace it? If Jesus did this, if Jesus modeled this, if Jesus called us to this, will you embrace it? And the embracing of it is the cross. Will you crucify your life to the life of Jesus? Will you give up what you have to do and have what he calls you to have. And no one can make that personal choice for you. Will you give up your immature faith, personal, secluded, private, comfortable faith for the call of Christ to step into the community? And in stepping into the community of God, we are stepping into the world to give up my life for myself and to live for my neighbor. Are you really ready to follow Jesus? Because if you're not, that's okay. But that is the call of the gospel to be devoted, to live this life, and to live a faith which is mutual, to share. We pour into each other. It's a risky faith. 
So what we're doing at Grace, we're doing something called tables. When I preached this series on uh, eating is believing, I didn't quite know how I wanted to go about starting this, but I knew I wanted to. So I started just having meals uh, every Sunday night with our leadership. Anyone who wanted to come, it wasn't forced or mandatory. Started with a big group, and it got pretty small. And what happened there is we learned a lot in this experiment. And the biggest thing we learned was that it's important to keep it somewhat small. And so what we're doing with tables is this. We're going to have groups of four families. We want to keep it four or less, basically. And so what would happen is if you sign up for this, you're going to sign up to meet to have a meal every other week with three other families. And that's it. There's no lesson. There's no plan. The idea is this. We show up, and we acknowledge God, and we let God do what God does. We can sit there, and we can talk. We can share. We can laugh. If, things, if prayer happens, then it happens. If, 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 if healings happen, it happens. If confession happens, it happens. If, you know, if laughter happens, it happens. We're just getting together, and we're saying, God, whatever you want to do in this space, do it. Do it. And so, we're also going to make it fun. There are two things you're not going to like about this. Are you ready? One, none of us will have control over who we're eating with. These groups will be, will be picked without you knowing. And everyone, the sign-ups just got cut in half, correct? You will not have control over who you eat with. Second, everyone who signs up, again, you're making a commitment to have 18 meals, meaning it runs from February to October. The idea is, again, you know, we know life happens, you go on vacations, that's fine. But if you're in town and everyone's healthy, you're committing to be there. Okay? There's something that you cannot build relationship with people you don't trust. And there's something about someone who's committed that tells you you can trust them. Does that make sense? When someone is committed to you and they show up consistently, you start to realize, maybe I can be real. Maybe I can, maybe this will work. All dreams start with what if. And the what if is, what if this is really the way God's called us to live? What if we can have a church like the one we see in the book of Acts? What if I can come and confess my sins and actually find people who are there to support me and not judge me? What if I can be myself and still be accepted? What if I can really have people that are safe a safe place in the church. What if? And so you're not going to like the fact that you don't get to, ch- to choose your family. And you're not going to like the fact that it's a commitment. We're not, just, we're not just signing up. We're only doing this for the families who sign up for it. And the, and the families who sign up for it, we're going to commit to meet 18 times. Again, you can go on vacation, be sick, all that kind of stuff. But the cool thing is this. We're going to do a draft party. You will... <laughs> Not like military draft, okay? Like, like, you know, the NFL draft, okay? What's going to happen is this, all right? If you sign up, okay, if you guys sign up, and, and uh, sign-ups, I think, end on February 18th. Yes, they end on, end on February 18th. All you have to do is text the number behind me. What's going to happen is you're going to show up February 25th. We're going to meet together in this room. We're going to have tables. We're going to have food. We're going to have a time, and we're going to have a draft party. You're going to find out who is your team. Okay? And we're going to, it's going to be fun. We're going to do it like, I mean, I wish we had jerseys and stuff, but we can't do that. But we're going to slowly begin to kind of unveil each, each team, each table, and you're going to find out who you're going to be with for the next, you know, nine months, basically, all right? Again, you don't have to sign up today, but I want you to pray about it. Pray about it. There's nothing about what I told you today is not scriptural. If you have questions, come talk with me. This is what the church is called to be, and I want you to consider it. Here are the reasons you wouldn't. You don't want to? Because I want to be in control? 
Because, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have space. Make room. You need this. I know you don't want this, okay? I don't even want this all the time. On my good days, I want this, okay? You need this. We need this. There's something. The more uncomfortable you are with this idea, the more you need it. And here's the thing. I'm doing it too, okay? I will be in the draft lottery just like you will. Okay, and I'm going to be paired with some of you random folks, okay, just like you will, all right? I'm going to do it too. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. I don't care about your busy. I got a busy schedule too. We're all busy, all right? I'm busy too. I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be there with you, and this is going to be crazy. And you better hope that you don't get me in your group, all right? <laughs> Again, there's, there's no lessons. And it's just, we are meeting together, and we're submitting to God, saying, God, in this place, in this time, have your way. Spirit of God, whatever you want to do, do it. And we're just going to be there together. We're going to eat. We're going to talk. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a good time. And then we're going to leave. Amen? Now, I want you to pray about it. Would you guys stand with me?